Praise God. Well, I'm going to be talking tonight on the subject, the most popular Bible in the world. And in doing this, I'm going to be defending the Bible. And so you can say amen, and that'll be fine. You can do however you feel if you want to worship and so on. But I didn't come here tonight to be given affirmation. I came tonight to defend the Bible. That's what I'm going to do. And there's been a recent study uh, that says that the what we sometimes call the King James Version or the KJV, it's actually originally was known as the Authorized Version, and I typically refer to it as the Authorized Version. It's the oldest, the most popular, the most... There is no Bible in the history of the world, that is to say, no translation. There's no translation of the Bible that has had such a history and popularity. But there's a recent rise in popularity. And so tonight I'm entitling this uh, Bible study, The Most Popular Bible in the World and What Its Popularity Means. So we're going to begin, you can see in this overlay, and we're using PowerPoint here tonight to look at a few things because there are a number of statistics that I want us to look at that are quite surprising, not just to me, but to scholars all over the world. They are quite amazed. But you can see in this, um, in this particular overlay that this was a photograph that was made for the 400th anniversary of the King James Version. So in 2011, we celebrated 400 years. And there have been various types of uh, changes in the King James, not, not uh, gobs and gobs, but lots of interesting changes to update the language of the King James and so on. And of course, the largest and most widely advanced argument that we needed a different Bible than, let's say, the authorized was that it, we needed to update the language. And so uh, no one could argue with that, that uh, archaic language is difficult for the average person and so on. And then there was the argument, of course, that people needed an updated version because they needed to dumb down the Bible. We needed to have a Bible that was real easy for people to understand. That was the typical argument. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with making the Bible readable and understandable. Now, whether or not you need a third-grade uh, level Bible or not, well, that, I guess that depends on how you feel. But most Bible translations today are being written uh, on a very, very, very low level uh, of, uh, of uh, <clears throat> a readability, we might say. But uh, 400 years of a Bible... Uh, is a very interesting thing indeed. I mean, to think that in the English-speaking world that this Bible has been so extremely popular for so long and that even after many, many people said we must abandon the King James, we must get away from it, for, and, and not because it was archaic language, but for other reasons that, of course, are important. We'll look at that. So let's go to the next one now, and let's look at the, this research. Now, I know this is hard for you to see because I've tried to squeeze way too much here. But first of all, at the very top, you'll see that this says the latest research from the Pew Foundation. Now, <clears throat> this research is a 44-page report that I'm going to interpret tonight. 
So I could make mistakes in interpreting it. In other words, a lot of it's statistics. And if I do make a mistake, it's just, just simply that I read it and, and I'm trying to interpret the statistics. But I don't think I've made any, but I'm just, I'm just telling you that I'm reading the report called The Bible in American Life. And the interesting thing is that one of the, you'll see as we come down here, that one of the, they call it here, advi- uh, a new study advised by respected historian Mark Knoll. Well, Mark Knoll was one of my professors at Wheaton College, he, which is in Chicago. When I pastored there and I studied ancient language, and of course I teach ancient language, I have a degree from Wheaton College in uh, basically Greek, but it wasn't called a Greek degree. It was called a, a degree in ancient language. So I studied Latin, I studied Greek, and I studied Hebrew and a few other you know, languages. And so <clears throat> language was interesting to me. And of course, my main reason for being interested in language was because I loved the Bible. And I wanted to study the ancient languages of the Bible. And uh, Dr. Noel was one of my professors there. And he is the main spokesman for the article that we're about to read. Now, there's two things we're looking at, okay? The first thing is we're looking at a 44-page report, but I'm never going to show you the 44-page report because that would be impossible. I have to just go zip, 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 zip all through 44 pages, and that would be meaningless. So what I'm going to do is interpret the report. I'm going to give you the statistics from the report because it is literally shocking, folks. They're going, oh, my goodness. And then the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a report that comes from Christianity today. And so that's what we're looking at right here. So the Bible in American Life is the name of a report of the Center for the Study of Religion and American Culture that was released on March the 6th of this year by uh, IUPUI, which is the the, uh, name of the Indiana University, Purdue University, and Annapolis College. Now, I'm reading, though, from a week after it was released from this uh, online report from ChristianityToday.com. And here is the title from uh, Sarah Zilstra. And this is the title she gave her, I would have to call this her summary of the report. Just like I'm doing a summary, this is her summary. All right? And here's the name of the summary. The most popular and fastest growing translation isn't what you think it is. That's the title of her summary of the report. The most popular and fastest growing Bible translation isn't what you think it is, which I find fascinating. First of all, we already know, because I wouldn't be talking about it if it weren't, of course, the King James Version, but how do we know that the King James Version is the most popular? But then, it's been around for 400 years. Why would it be now, in 2014, from a report from, from uh, Indianapolis, why would it be the fastest-growing Bible translation? Well, folks, I'm telling you, I am introducing to you some startling statistics because indeed we are finding that the King James Version is once again growing as the fastest growing used Bible in America. So, even though it says here, it isn't what you think it is. Now, of course, the first question I have is, why do they think I wouldn't think it? 
That's my first question. Why do they think I wouldn't think that it was the King James? Well, I'm going to tell you why. But I want to read two or three points from uh, Sarah Zilstra's article here online, Christianity Today. And I'm beginning with the one that's in red. And this, this is right out of it. I didn't write this. this is, I just copied it, put it on this overlay. NIV versus KJV. Can you see that? Is that too small? Okay, I'm right here. NIV versus KJV. Well, the NIV is what uh, the popular name is for the second most popular Bible in English called the, the uh, New International Version. And I've taught on the New International Version many times, and I use it uh, all the time. I use it all the time. I read it regularly. I read through it, although I am quite uh, taken back by the method of translating. I happen to be a translator. I happen to have had eight years of Greek, and I'm very interested in Greek. No problem with people translating the Bible. But the NIV, or the New International, is, has a, a, a theory behind it, which I call dynamic equivalent. That means they don't want to just get a word-for-word, word, which many translators do. Certainly the, uh, the authorized version is word-for-word. Word. But the NIV didn't want to do that. They take I, what I call liberties. That, that may be the wrong word, and you may misunderstand what I mean by it. But they, they're not trying to get a word-for-word word meaning. And so the NIV is uh, sometimes troubling, but always interesting. And so I read it regularly because I read the Bible every single day. How many love the Bible? I love the Bible. Now, I don't read the NIV because I want to... Uh, be enlightened because I could read it in the Greek. I don't have to read it in the NIV or the King James Version if I choose not to because I can read the Bible in the original Greek and I do rather often. And I study from the original. Of course, I'm talking of the New Testament. I am not in this particular point refer- referring to the Hebrew Old Testament. I'm speaking specifically of the of the uh, New Testament when I speak that way. But anyway, here's what she says. Surveys and searches suggest the translation that most Americans are reading is actually not the bookstore bestseller. Well, that was the first shocking thing in the report. That even though the NIV was selling the most number of Bibles from typical American Christian bookstores, that is not the Bible that most Americans are reading. They're buying it, but they're not reading it. That is to say they're buying the NIV, but they're not reading the NIV, not according to this uh, most amazing report. Of course, we could say, well, why aren't they reading it? And so if we spent time with all of it, we could spend a whole lot of time here. But I would suggest that one reason they bought an NIV but are not reading it is that they really think of the Bible as uh, the authorized translation. They see that as more genuinely the Scriptures than the NIV. But they bought the NIV because they wanted to use it. 
just like lots of people use it. In fact, I have almost every translation in English of the Bible, and I have many, many dozens of other translations in other languages, several Latin and so on. Uh, and, and so uh, they buy translations to be helpful, sometimes to study. It helps them to study. But what is shocking them is that they're not using these Bibles to read. When you ask them, well, what Bible are you using? They were startled to find out by this Pew Foundation research that it was, in fact, the King James Version. Now, we read the second one, which is right here. When Americans reach for their Bibles, more than half of them pick up a King James Version, according to a new study advised by respected historian Mark Knoll. And then here, the blue, the 55%. In other words, it's not 50%, it's 55% who read the KJV easily outnumber the 19% who read the NIV. That, I think, was... It's, it's like the big letdown because for years and years and years they thought, oh, we're gaining ground. So we have to ask ourselves, why did some people think that we needed something like the NIV or any number of others, which I'll, we'll look at in just a minute, and they're push, push, push. In fact, there are denominations that have... Uh, uh, official positions that their people must read the NIV. But when they studied it, they found out they're not reading the NIV. So when they come to church, the pastor gets up, he reads from the NIV. And the people say, oh, that's interesting. They go home and they read the King James Version. They're not reading the NIV. And so they were quite startled by this. And uh, they found out that the actual percentage was at least 55%. And that they could, uh, they could come up with 19% of American Christians that are using the NIV. Which how many see, that's, all, that's almost, I'm trying to be careful here, but that's almost three to one. And my first point I want to make is on the next overlay, so everybody say praise the Lord. All right, so I'm going to go to the next one. And that is, that that is at the very least. Now, after all of these years, and so let, let, don't let me get ahead of myself, but what I'm trying to say is that the Word of God is so important to many Americans that they are not going to let translators fool around with it. They're not going to let somebody come along and say, that's not in the Bible. For example, I have here the text of the NIV, right here. That is to say the Greek text. And this, I picked this up in London, by the way. This is all of the scriptures that the NIV either takes out or completely changes the words. Now, if you look at it here, you'll see. <laughs> I've waved this around more than once. But I'm, I wanted to wave it around tonight. Um, it says 8,000 differences, which is, uh, that, that's... The British version of that's 8,000 changes. Now, there's nothing wrong with when you translate saying it differently. We don't mean that. We're talking about literally taking scriptures out and changing from one thing to another and meaning something altogether different. Well, people, they thought the world was just going to say, oh, yeah, we need an easy-to-read Bible. And, and if the scholars tell us that's no longer in the Bible, well, then then we'll just throw that out of the Bible. But they weren't so willing to throw that out of the Bible, we find. Now, let's go further. I didn't study this on my own. Now, we're looking here. How many sees that this was at a 2011 LifeWay study? 
Lifeway is a large Christian corporation that sells Bibles, and, and it's a Christian bookstore and so on. And uh, they did a study of their own. I want you to look at it. I want you to see what it says. And I got this from the study that I'm talking about, the 44-page study. I didn't go find the Lifeway study. I discovered the Lifeway study as I was reading the 44-page report. Now, in, in the Lifeway study, the percentages are even higher. For example, the first one is that in their study, it's not 55%, but 62% of Americans that have the KJV, but of those reading the Bible regularly. In other words, they would ask them in the study, do you read the Bible often or do you hardly ever read the Bible? If they said, I read the Bible regularly, 80 82% of everybody that said, I read the Bible all the time, they were reading a King James Version of the Bible. Now that is rather shocking. That would mean that only 18% of the, uh, uh, I mean, folks, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to do interpreting here. If 82% of them that are regularly reading the Bible now, I know some of you, the first question is, how can you trust the Lifeway study? How can you trust the Indianapolis study? How can you trust Christianity? I mean, how do you know? Well, that's something you just have to uh, take for granted. That the folks have looked at it. They've weighed it. They've looked at the Pew Foundation's uh, means of doing the study. And it's been accepted. It's been released. And, and uh, people will be, they'll be analyzing it just like I'm doing. But the, uh, let me tell you, and, and of course, folks that don't like the results will say, oh, well, that's what they'll be saying that's old English by the way alright so of those reading the Bible regularly 82% are using the King James that's shocking I mean that's just mind blowing now this is the Lifeway study now therefore look at two things very few people who read the Bible regularly then are using the altered translations very few people that are reading the Bible regularly are using them. And then the next thing is, conversely, this means that very few of those using other translations read them regularly. So it can only be, a, well, in this, in this study, only 18% are regularly reading what we might call new translations. This, to me, debunks the premise that supposed easier to read is preferable. In other words, I need a Bible that's on a third grade level. People were not asking for a third grade level Bible. So that was simply not so. They may have thought they would give them a, a fifth grade level or a sixth grade level or a seventh grade level. They rate uh, translations, by the way. And, and, and uh, the, I, I keep saying third grade because one of the recent ones I looked at was a third grade level. Which, folks, I never try to read on the third grade level personally. I leave that for the third graders. All right. But anyway, you're not going to get with me. I understand. Okay, now, so the question is then, what is the big deal? And uh, so here's where we're going to go. I'm going to walk through this, and I'm going to try to cover all of it because I want to say it. I want it to be recorded. I want it to be, I want to stand for it. I am willing to say, yes, I put my life on the line. I believe this with all my heart. God's Word is eternal, and there's not a devil in hell that's going to stop it. God's Word will last forever. It will last forever. It never changes. I'm just, I'm going to stand for it. All right. So what's the big deal? All right. Number one, why? Here's the first question. Why won't you think it is the most popular? All right. 
And, and then, of course, the, the sort of the corollary question I put there in the blue is, why are they surprised? What's, what is surprising to them? Why, why are they surprised? I mean, uh, I mean, the numbers are kind of surprising even to me. That is to say, I never realized that after 130 years... So there's my question. So why won't you think it's the most popular? You're not going to think it's the, you're going to think it's something else, but it's shocking. It's the King James Version. That's what they're saying. Number two, how can a 400-year-old translation also be the fastest-growing Bible? Well, this is the part that I didn't know. I mean, in other words, I'd always uh, kind of, felt the pulse and, and someone asked me just recently they were talking about uh, uh, Bible translating and, and well what do you think how do you think the King James is holding up I said well uh, blah 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 and we talked about it I, I was quite sure it was somewhere clear somewhere like what, what we're talking at right here but I had no idea that there was this amazing revival of interest in the King James now, that surprised me so I want to show it to you. All right, so the answer is simple to the questions. First of all, they, they were, they're surprised because they've been trying to change the Bible for 130 years, ever since the revised version in 1881, and they started going and saying, we need a new Bible. We need to change the Bible. Now, they didn't mean we need an easy to read. They didn't mean we need a better translation. They meant we need to go and cut a bunch of verses out of the Bible. Because they don't belong there. And a lot of people said, sorry, I won't be buying that Bible. And so they didn't. I mean, the Bible I'm talking about doesn't even, isn't even on the radar of what we're talking about. The only one that's on the radar is the NIV, and, and it's 19% after 130 years. Now, you could say 19%, whoa, that's great. Well, what, what, I'll tell you what it says to me. If, if after 130 years of this, and scholars, I, can, I can't tell you, folks. I am a Greek major. I have been told, Talmuds, come on. You, you can't be so silly as to think that every word in the Bible is true. You can't be so foolish as to believe that. Yes, I'm that foolish. I believe every, every word of God is true. I believe what Jesus believed, that God's word is forever. So they said, no, 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 we got to change that, and, and we'll change it in certain ways. But I'm, not, I'm not here to, uh, I'm not trying to uh, in, talk about the revised version. I'm just telling you that these different versions, I, the RV, the revised version, so, so ancient, it, it, <laughs> I mean, you talk about a Bible lasting for 400 years. The revised version didn't even last for 30 years. I mean, folks, it, it was just they used it, and people said, oh, okay, and plump, it went over there. I'm, I'm, that sounds... Okay, Lord, forgive me for that. And they started retranslating it, and then retranslating it, and then retranslating it, and then retranslating it. You want to, finally you want to say, how many of these do we have to have? If we need a good one, do a good one. And then we can look at it and say whether we think it's good. If you cut half of the Gospel of Mark out, I'm not going to be using it. That's just the way people make decisions. It doesn't matter if it's easy to read or third grade level or what it is. What matters is, is it the Word of God or not? So, number one, they, in the 1881 mentality, they changed and wanted to get rid of the King James by rejecting the idea that there is a settled and infallible text of the Bible. That is to say that when you look at a Greek Bible, I didn't bring a Greek Bible up here, well, I, in effect, I do because I have the Greek text here. 
that the NIV decided to use. In other words, they opted to change the Greek text of the Bible and say other things. And we'll come back to that. In other words, the, the Bible text was not handed down correctly is what they're saying. We, now we, scholars are going to fix it for us. And they're going to tell us what the Bible really is. And so uh, if that's true, then it's neither settled. Everybody say settled. In other words, it, it couldn't have been settled if we're just now finding it in 1881. That seems like a long time after Jesus to be finding the Bible. And it cannot be infallible. Infallible means there's no errors. If you cut 8,000 scriptures out, that seems to me like a lot. Does that seem like a lot to some of you? That seems like a lot to me. I mean, one would be a lot for me. I mean, I understand that. Someone said, oh, come on, friends, you don't believe that. No, no, I'm, I'm serious. I, I, if you cut one word out of Scripture, I'd be upset. So I'm not pretending that I wouldn't be. I'm just telling you that 8,000 changes seems like a lot. And it might explain why some people say, forget it. I'm not using that kind of a Bible. For example, oh, don't get me, please, oh, don't get me going. Just don't get me going. Stay calm. Number two. Then it changed, or by changing, it says here, the original words. That is to say, they removed thousands of words, phrases, and verses, which I've, I've been saying that all along. Okay, now, let's go to uh, Psalm 119.89, and let's use this as a uh, comparative uh, analysis to the idea that we needed to take out 8,000 words in different scriptures and so on, or, uh, even 100, let's say 100 scriptures, or maybe 500 scriptures, or maybe 1,000 scriptures. We should have took out 1,000 scriptures. Which ones and so on? All right, well, the psalmist said, 119.89, and Jesus himself verified the psalms in several places. I don't have time to go into that, but, but it is true. And here we find in verse 89, forever... Could we read it together? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Okay, now the first thing I want to say is that then these types of scriptures, this one in particular here, leave no room for the belief in errors in the Bible. All right, that's where I stand. The idea that the Bible is not settled and that some scholar is going to come along and show me what the Bible was supposed to say some of these Bibles, for example, will have uh, whole chapters taken out, and it'll say there, it'll have like a little bracket, and it'll say, uh, this is where some people put chapter 7 and stuff like that. I mean, how many, how many know, all right, without, I don't want to slow down, I want to cover as much ground as I can. How many of you know that in the new Bibles, that the story of the woman taken in adultery. Do you, know, do you know the story that I mean in John 7 and 8? The end of 7, the first part of John uh, 8. How many know that the story, do you know the woman I'm talking about? She was taken in the act of adultery. All right. According to the new Bibles, that never happened. That is not to be in the Bible, and they've cut it out of the Bible. How many knew that already before I got up here? Okay, some of you did, and that's... Uh, that, that, was, that means that's good. I'm glad you're, you're aware of what I'm talking about. So in other words, that, that should have never been in the Bible. Now that's some of the 8,000 things they cut out. So, so my point is, I can't believe that, not for one minute. If I believe that they could cut out chapter 8, why not chapter 9? 
Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, French, you know why we're not cutting out chapter 9. But I'm still asking you, if the Bible could chop out chapter 8, and now all of a sudden you want me to believe in chapter 9, I believe in the whole Bible from beginning to end. That's what I believe. And I don't believe you can change the Bible. Now, I don't mean by that you can't translate the Bible. I believe you can translate the Bible. I do it all the time. I think it's wonderful to translate the Bible and try to understand what, what the words mean and so forth. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, now let's keep going. Everybody say, praise the Lord. All right, now, let's look here at 2 Timothy 3. This is my second scripture, and I've looked at this before, but the Greek word here, you see it here, theopistos. This Greek word here is the word inspiration, which in this uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by what? Inspiration. Now, this is a unique word that Paul has used, uh, which theopustos means God breathed. So all scripture comes from God, is breathed of God, in spite of the fact that it has a human author as well. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in what? Righteousness. All right, 2 Timothy. So I use this scripture to remind people that the Bible and its perfection is guaranteed by its author. How many knows that if God is perfect, his word has to be perfect? You see what I'm saying? If you say, for example, oh, he's the most honest person I know, except he lies every time he talks. You see, that wouldn't work, would it? Because it is by the very nature of if, if I'm the most honest, I'm not saying you said it, I'm just using it as an example. If someone is said to be the most honest person you know, but they are never honest when they talk, that, that doesn't go together. If God is perfect, then his word is perfect. Praise God. And so it's a guarantee of the Bible's perfection. And of course, millions and millions of people from, from the time immemorable, they have known and believed it to be true. Now we come, I want to add this in quickly from Matthew 5.18. I know you all know it, but I'm going to get it in here. For verily I say unto you, Matthew 5.18, till heaven and earth and this is what I believe I don't care if every scholar in the world says it's not true Jesus said till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled there is no such thing as ripping out whole chapters and verses and words and so on in fact not even a jot or a tittle and you notice that I've put there a jot. Now, the, the King James has used the word jot. I've always thought that was interesting, and I'm not making fun of it, but because it's an old English word, and I fully get it. I know what a jot is. But in modern language, we don't usually talk about jots. We might. I think we kind of do. We'll say a little jot, and we mean a little tiny something. But actually, there it is. It's the Greek word yota. So there's no doubt Jesus said one yota. There it is. There's the Greek word. I've got the text. I'm telling you there it is. And there it is larger. That is the yota. Everybody understand what I'm saying? This is the word yota. That is the word yota. At the beginning of the word is the letter yota. And what it's referring to is the smallest letter in the Greek language. Jesus is saying nothing is going to pass from the Word of God. Not any of it. Not even a jot or a kariah. That's the other Greek word. Now this is a little more controversial. And I'm going to settle the controversy tonight. Because I just love settling controversies. 
The Kariah was a way of referring to the smallest letter. Now, this makes very good sense to me for a number of reasons that I can't go into. That the Kariah referred to the smallest letter in the Hebrew language. And I think it's very, very interesting that Jesus would mean this. Now, I've heard other people argue the Kariah to be another mark. And I'm, I'm all for it. Let them argue that. But I'm here to settle it. And, you know, because I, you know, I know. I, I know. All right. And that is that the Kariah is the Yud of the Hebrew language. How many knows what this word is in Hebrew? Yud, hey, vav, hey. Does anybody know what that word is? Jehovah. Can you say that with me? Jehovah. Of course, you wouldn't have said that in Hebrew. That's not a Hebrew word. But in Hebrew, it would be pronounced Yahweh. And most scholars today suggest that that's the sacred name of God. And how many love the name of the Lord here tonight? Praise God. So in a sense, Jesus was saying that the sacred name and its first letter, not even the very first stroke of the word is going to disappear. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. The word of God is sure. You can depend upon the word of God. Hallelujah. Anybody believe that tonight? Amen. So not one jot or tittle. Now, first of all, I want to set the record straight for those who are wondering and for those who want to uh, pursue uh, their own ideas about the Word of God. Maybe what Jesus thought isn't impressing you. So let's go beyond just what Jesus said and, and my interpretation of Scriptures and so on. The King James Bible was translated from what we might call the majority of the manuscripts of the Greek. So I'm now referring to the New Testament, of course. Now, that means that it was based upon, of all the Greek manuscripts, it was based on the agreement of 4,830. 30 manuscripts that were agreed word for word with one another. They were preserved for hundreds and thousands of years. And the King James translators in 1611 sat down with the manuscripts and said, here they are. Here is the Greek. And here the Hebrew, of course, has a different history. And I'm not going into that tonight. And uh, it's hardly, dis- the Hebrew is not nearly as disputed as these folks are trying to dispute the, the Greek. And so 4,830 ancient manuscripts were used to translate the King James Bible. I'm tired of people pretending, pretending that the Word of God is not based upon fact. It is based upon God preserving His Word in thousands of manuscripts. Now, the new versions, on the other hand, are based on the many differing verses that are found in the remaining 500 and 36 manuscripts where people had changed and so on and those manuscripts say different things that would be 10% now they don't those 10% don't agree with each other but let's say here's one that says Humpty Dumpty I'm, I'm being facetious here here's one that says uh, you know uh, Jack be nimble and so which is it? Is it Humpty Dumpty or Jack Me Nimble? Well, they all say different. This one over here says uh, uh, Cinderella. And, and we don't know. But So what they do is, it's what we call an eclectic way. They go through and they just pick the one they want or think is correct. And that's what they put in the Bible. And if these manuscripts don't have verses, they cut them out. All right. So they pick 
differing new verses from these few manuscripts to make the changes. All right, so uh, that's way, way simplified, but since this is not a courtroom, nor is it a classroom, we're here in the presence of the Lord, and I'm halfway preaching because I love the Word of God, and I don't mind preaching that God's Word is true, that it'll change your heart, it'll, it'll, it'll take you where you need to go, and I'm not afraid to defend the Word of God. I'm not afraid to defend it. I'm willing to defend it. Sometimes they'll use mockery and they'll say this and they'll say that. and It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that I love the Word of God and I'm going to stand on the Word of God. Anybody here believe in the Word of God tonight? Praise God. All right, now, so let's keep going. I told you I would try to hurry. Um, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to... Uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to worry about time, so help me out here. Now, what I did was, I just took a little note, because I thought, okay, well, let's do this. Let's just see if folks understand what I'm saying. All right, so I'm going to take the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Okay, I've, I just kind of hit on it a moment ago. And so I've, I've cho- I'm going to show you just one or two places in each of the Gospels that's gone forever if you believe that the Bible has been in error. We've got to do new stuff now and get rid of these verses. Number one, Matthew 6, 12. I pray it every single day of my life. I have for many years. And it says, And the end of my prayer, For thine is the kingdom and the power. Well, that's gone. Just scratch that. Quit praying that. That's what they're telling me. Matthew, I remember I said a couple from each of the Gospels. Matthew 17, 21. So I'm only using some that were, are more familiar. Now, there are hundreds. I'm just telling you. I'm just looking at some of the more familiar. Matthew 17, 21. This kind goeth not out, but by what? Well, quit saying that. Because that's gone forever if you believe that these manuscripts that are all different, that those are actually the original. That the 500 that are all different from each other, you got to scramble through there like a garbage pile and find scriptures that you can use in your Bible. Folks, I want to tell you something. I am not going to stand by and let someone defame the Word of God. I am going to stand for God's Word. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to stand for God's Word. And God's Word is true and settled forever. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled. And I want to tell you something else. These kind goeth, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. That's Bible. That's in 4,680. Yes, that's in literally thousands of Greek manuscripts. And yet I've had people come to me and say, well, that you, need to get, you need to get real. That's not supposed to be in there. Well, tell me how, why is that not supposed to be in there? Which manuscript, I asked one guy, which manuscript proves that's wrong? Well, I don't know. You don't know. Well, I I know of 4,680 that have it. Now, I want you to show me the manuscript because I read Greek. I'm willing to go and get the manuscript because based on that one manuscript... Or that one family of manuscripts, you want to tell me that the, Jesus saying it comes out only by prayer, that I've got to cut that out of my Bible. And you don't even know which one it is. You're doing it on the basis of somebody telling you, and you don't even know it. 
But they want me to change my whole life and believe that it doesn't come about by prayer and fasting. I want to tell you something right now. It comes about by prayer and fasting, just like Jesus said. And that's supposed to be in the Bible. All right, Mark 69, uh, 69 through 20. So that's 11 verses. Supposed to be gone. I can't read them, of course. But, for example, verse 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Cut that out forever. That's gone. Look, listen to this, Matthew 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's gone forever. Forget it. Can't keep that in the Bible. Uh, verse 17. These signs shall follow them that believe. Anybody believe that's supposed to be in the Bible? Yes, it's supposed to be in the Bible. But they tell me, and I've, I want, this is the chapter that gets the most discussion. Uh... I've had some pretty interesting discussions on this one. The last guy I said, uh, so it's supposed to end there in verse 8, right? So the last word of the gospel of Mark is the word afraid. It's supposed to just cut right off there. Yes, yeah, that's what those other manuscripts show. So you've got all your faith in those other manuscripts. How many of them have you ever read? Have you ever looked at? Well, I've never read any of them. Okay, well, then I'm going to just keep believing that these signs shall follow them that believe because that's in nearly 5,000 manuscripts. And there's only 5,336 manuscripts of the Greek. So I'm not going to be, I'm not going to waver until there's some reason and my heart right now says, oh, thy word is a rock, O oh Lord. Thy word is a, thy word is a lamp, oh, hallelujah. Luke eleven two, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, that's gone forever. Verse 4, Luke eleven four, deliver us from evil. That's not in the text. That's gone forever. It's not in the New Bibles. And I've just given you John seven fifty three and 8. The woman taken in adultery was never taken in adultery. That's false. According to the New Bibles, not supposed to be there, not in the Word of God. Now, everyone said amen. All right. Well, I don't believe that for one minute. I do not believe it not for a single moment. I believe that every word of God is true. I want to live my life by the word of God. And every devil in hell can say what they choose. The word of God is true regardless of what men say. Now, the surprise. The report. I'm back to the report. Because someone asked, why are people surprised? Well, because they spent 130 years propagating the idea that the Bible should be cut down, take all these verses out, and now today they find that fewer and fewer people are using them. Let me read this. In fact, I'm reading now, this is not the report, this is the, the article from the internet that I showed you a moment ago. Searches for the King James Version seem to be rising distinctly since 205 while most other English translations are staying flat or are declining according to Smith's Google research. In other words, people are using the internet to read the Bible and they are not reading other translations. That's what that says. Now, let's keep going. Now, here we go. Here is the growing use of the Bible on the internet. Now, this is an interesting for you uh, tech people. 31% of the people now interviewed that is in this report that I'm talking about. 31% read the Bible online. Do you know what I mean by that? When they want to read the Bible, they read it on the computer. They don't read it from a 
paper-bound uh, book. They read it on the computer, 31%. That's uh, startling. Um, and if you're one of those, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, th- that's great. They're reading the Bible online. Uh, and 22% are reading the Bible on e-devices, like their telephone. They're not reading. They never pick up a book. When they want to read the Bible, they turn their phone on, and they read the Bible on the phone. But what is important here is that what they noticed was, and this is what I'm showing you. Now, what I've done is I tried to use this on Sunday, and I was finally able to uh, make it a little more visible. And that is all of the other translations, and I'm not going to read them all, but you see here, maybe I will. All right, there's the King James. There's the NIV, ESV, which is, ESV is just more or less the RV modernized, all right? And then here's the NLT, the, I don't know what the MSG is, and I'm, I honestly don't. But the French make a note that I need to figure out what the MSG is. I thought I, is that the message? Why is it called the MSG then? The message, it's just short for message? <laughs> I thought it was like that stuff that makes you get lockjaw. Anyway, all right, so MSG, uh, NKJV, the New King James, the NASB, the NRSV, and the HCSB. Okay, these are the top translations. All right, here's all of them put together. That's, that's how few people are using them online. They thought they were going to get this research in from Google and it was going to say, man, nobody wants an archaic Bible. And the fact of the matter is there's been a rising use of the king. It's way up here. Look at these. You can't, that, this was not even, look at that. How would you like to be the guy that translated that Bible? Look, look how low that is. Anybody see how many people were reading it? In the entire world, we're talking Google. We're not talking about something where you can't track it. You, it's not like the IRS where you can't find anything. We're talking about Google here. Look at that. That is zero. Not a single human being read it. I mean, that's what it says. I, that may be statistically incorrect, but I mean, that, that looks to me like zero right there. And this doesn't look a whole lot better. It went up here about 2000, into 2011. A couple people said, well, I'm going to read that. Looks like they read it for a few days and said, forget that. And they <laughs> turned it off. Anyway, so um, here we go, here we go, here we go. And I, honestly, I cannot tell. This color is supposed to be in here. I'm going to assume that it's this line here. I think it is, but I'm, I'm assuming it. The colors don't seem to match. The point is, of course... That the shocking news is that whether they're buying Bibles, reading Bibles, or online, and millions and millions of people are reading the Bible online, they're using the King James Version of the Bible. They're not looking where they could easily do it and not pay a penny. Just click it on. There's the ESV. I, use, I read the ESV almost, almost regularly. Not because I agree with all of it, but because there's certain things about it that I, I like to look for in when I'm studying. And so I want to see how the translators dealt with certain things. But, uh, but the ESV, can't, I can't even see it showing on this, registering on this. Now, this debunks, of course, the number one premise for the supposed need for the versions, and that is a new generation doesn't want an old, supposed, outmoded translation. Fact is, the new generation loves the old translation. And they're taking the new mode of reading, which we could call e-devices or internet or 
uh, Google, and they are reading the King James Bible to the tune of literally millions of readers. So let's look at how many readers there are. Let's talk about it. Okay, now here's, here's I'm interpreting now the data. And some of you word I'm going to go all night. I'm almost done. Now, 9%, according to the study, here we go, 9% of Americans read the Bible every day. That seems low, but that's, that's the number. 48% have read the Bible at least during the year. So that's how they, that's how they did the study. Thousands of people they, they studied, and they said, uh, have you read the Bible in the last year? No, yes, and so on. 48% of all people that in America read the Bible during the year. The highest region of Bible reading is the South, 61%. Read the Bible in the South. At least once, once a year, they can say, I read the Bible during the year. And then they broke it down. I don't have time, but they broke it down. How many read it every day, every month, every week, and so on? All right, now, here's, here's the amazing thing. Are you with me? Everybody still awake? Everybody say, praise the Lord. All right, even of those who don't read the Bible. In other words, they said, nope, I, don't, I did not read the Bible in a whole year, which they interpreted to mean they weren't Bible readers. All right? Then they ask them, well, what do you think of the Bible? Look at this. Look at this. 15% said, I've never read it, but I believe it's the inerrant word of God. That is 15% of the people that don't read the Bible said, I don't read it, but I still believe it's the inerrant word. 50% said it's the inspired word. Now they used, uh, I don't have time to go into that, why they separated the idea of inspired and inerrant. Uh, very interesting, but I won't go into it. But in other words, they had a very high view of the Bible. In other words, 48% of them read the Bible through the year, some of them every day, 9% every day, some every two days, on and on and on. They were astounded that Americans were this involved in the Bible. And 50% of those that never read the Bible still believed it came directly from God. That's what they believed. Oh, I'm going to tell you something, folks. Don't you let the devil lie to you. This world needs the Word of God. And folks are looking for the Word of God. Now, here we go. I'm almost done. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get right to the very end here. Now, then they broke it down between uh, this, these categories. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. 70% of African Americans read the Bible either every day or sometime during the year. All right, now, that means then that the number one Bible reading category in America are African Americans. They read the Bible more than any other group of people in all of America, 70%. That means that of the African Americans, there are only 30% that said, I do not read the Bible. Now, then they ask, okay, you read the Bible. What Bible are you reading? 79% said, I read the King James Version. 79%. Do you know, how many knows how many people there are in America? Lots of them, right? 48% according to... Now, I understand they didn't interview every person in America. No survey does. That's not my point. My point is that the statistics show 79% of African Americans use the King James Version. Then they, of those that were whites... Only 44% read the Bible, and 51% said they read the King James Version, and 46% of Hispanics, all right? Now, here we go. <clears throat> now, the, the last category that I want us to look at. And I'm interpreting the data from a 44-page report. 
And I'm calling this, and I've, I'd, uh, nobody called it this, I'm calling it this, the effect of wealth and education on belief of the Bible. Now listen to me. You listen to me. I'm almost done. We're in the will of God here tonight. They, they asked them, do you make less than $25,000 a year? And then they would go through everything and they would categorize them. Those that were, let's say, making less money, 42% believed that the Bible was completely inerrant. Now that's a little tricky because there was another category called inspired. I'm not bringing that in. Inspired, some of them might have thought they even meant inerrant. Because I, I equate the two, so, so that could be. I'm not trying to interpret all that here. I'm just telling you their data. If they made less than $25,000 a year, 42% of them believe the Bible to be inerrant. And 69% of them use the King James Bible. But if you made $75,000 or more, only 20% believe the Bible to be inerrant. 80% of those that made $75,000 or more, 80% of those said, no, I don't believe it to be inerrant at all. And only 44%, which still is a high number, 44% use the King James. Now, let's talk about education. Less, they asked them, have you graduated from high school? If they had less than a high school education, 52% believed in inerrancy. How many see that the numbers are starting to rise here? The less education... Now, of course, they're, they're doing this for a reason because they're going to have to try to figure out why people aren't letting the scholars tell them what the Bible's supposed to be. Well, they don't have an education. So if they don't have a high school education, will they believe the Bible to be inerrant? If they have a college degree, only 10% believe it. That's shocking. Now they're quite proud of it in the research, of course, because they've discovered an interesting thing. And that is that those that don't have a tremendous a graduate degree oh my goodness more than half of them and 72% of those use the King James Bible but if they are smart see they might they didn't say the word smart if they have a de degree a graduate degree then 90% of those with a degree do not believe in the Bible and only 33% use the King James Bible which tells me that something's happening in graduate education that is causing people to no longer believe in the Bible. Very, very interesting. And to say, yeah, just cut all those verses out. I, I don't care what you do to the Bible. Don't really believe it's inerrant. All right, let's stand, shall we? Let's look at two scriptures. Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. Jesus answered and said unto the Sadducees, or unto them, you do err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Jesus taught his entire ministry that the greatest thing that you could do is know the power of God and know the word of God. And then, John 10, 35, Jesus said, and I'm only reading the very end because the scripture is complex and I just want us to catch the end of the verse. The scripture cannot be broken through... Uh, Luthani here is an infinitive 
And this word luthenai means to set aside. Everyone say set aside. You cannot set aside the scriptures. Or this word means something like, and that's what I put here. Is it up there? Like nullify. That you could nullify it or, or take it out or say that's not supposed to be there. Jesus said, the scripture cannot be set aside. You may think you can, but it will still remain. After you've tucked it away, it still remains the Word of God. Hallelujah! And so I want us to praise the Lord for His Word. Come on, we're we're just going to magnify Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit and for what we feel tonight. Lord, we give you the praise and we magnify your wonderful name. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands one more time. Let's just give the Lord some praise. Father, thy word is true and we give you all of the glory tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost here. I want to thank you tonight for letting me deliver my heart. I feel like this is a time for us to rejoice that God's Word is marching on. Praise God. And I I love the little phrase that says, the truth is marching on. Praise God. No matter what men do, God is going to remain God. And He is awesome. How many knows that someone that needs the Lord, could you just lift your hands and let's pray for revival. Let's pray that God will have His way in our families. Uh, Oh, Jesus, Thy Word, O Father, let the Holy Ghost get a hold of us and let revival come as never before and we give you all of the praise in Jesus name and everyone said amen amen now you're dismissed turn to someone shake hands God bless you tonight thank you for being so kind and thank you for studying the word with us